So welcome, everybody. Night number 20. 20. How have you lasted this long with me? No. It's been awesome. But you keep coming. Praise the Lord. So, Tuesday night. It's a pretty deep subject, wasn't it? The Scarlet Woman. I saw some confused looks on people's faces. I saw some people really kind of processing it as they come through. I wasn't quite the sure faces that I saw in some of the other messages. But most people said it was clear or they, they wanted to process it or they took the CDs. Please, listen to those CDs. Go through the studies. I know that was a heavy, heavy topic. I, went, I showed a lot of quotes on that screen. And that, this is available at the counter. If you didn't get it on the way in, get it on the way out. It's every quote. Remember I gave one after the, the history's greatest secret? Well, this is another one, and this is all the quotes. Where I got them, who said them, where they're from, so that you can go Google them and make sure it's not me. Well, no, it's okay. I don't, you know, like I told you on night one, don't trust me. Look up the quotes. Go to the Bible. So tonight we're going to talk about this back from the wilderness business. After that heavy, and this is going to be a heavy topic too. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you an ample warning. We're going to I'll try to unfold it, and I'll try to go as slow as I can in the time I've got. But you guys know as I get going. <laughs> so let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful day. Thank you for all the glorious blessings you've bestowed upon us. Thank you so much for life itself. Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of your word, the gift of your truths. We also thank you for the warnings that you've given us, the guidance, the leadings. But most of all, Lord, we thank you for the messengers that you've sent to us to help us get on the right path. Lord, I ask you now, please, send your Holy Spirit down. Send your angels to be with us as we continue to build on the foundation that we've built throughout this series. As we've continued to build rock upon rock, we're building our homes on a solid foundation of rock, your word, your scripture. Lord, I ask this all in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Back from the wilderness. World War II ended in 1945. But for one Japanese soldier, the war continued for another 29 years. Hiro Onada was 23 years old, and he was a second lieutenant in the Japanese Imperial Army. He and several others had taken the, to the hills of Lubang, Island in the Philippines, about 100 miles from Manila. One day, they found a leaflet that had been dropped from an airplane, saying the war was over. But Lieutenant Yunada didn't believe it. He thought it was a trick. So he stayed up in the hills, and he continued his guerrilla activities against the people living in Lubang Island. Eventually, it was found out that this gentleman hadn't returned home after the war. Also, some of the others that were with him in the hills had returned, so they knew he was missing, but they had never seen him killed. Many years later, a man from Japan happened to be in Lubang for the purpose of looking for him. He finally tracked him down, and he told him, Lieutenant, the war's over. It's been over for 29 years. You can come home now. Onada said, there's no way I'm coming home. I'm not abandoning my post. 
unless my commanding officer comes here and tells me that I'm relieved of my duty. Now that poor fellow, his commanding officer, is back in Japan, working as a bookseller. He had been out of the military for many years. But realizing what he had to do, he made his way all the way back to Lubang Island. And he found Lieutenant Onada and told him he could finally return home. Hiro Onada did so and received a hero's welcome 29 years after the war had ended. He was back from the wilderness. In the world of God, we are told that God's church will come back from the wilderness as well, just like that Japanese soldier. Let's look at Revelation chapter 12. Page 1182. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. So we know that in Bible prophecy, a woman stands for what? Amen, a church. Since this woman is dressed in white, we know it's a pure church. It's God's church. Amen? Verse 6 tells us, Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, that they should feed her there 1,260 days. So we know that this church, this woman, is going to go into the wilderness to be preserved by God for 1,260 days. Now, these are the same 1,260 days as spoken of in Daniel. This is the time of the first beast that we've talked about. The first nation in Revelation 13 that had such great influence over the world. And remember in Bible prophecy, a day is equal to a year. So we know that this was 1,260 years when God's word would be kept in the dark, largely out of view. In fact, the word of God was denied to people. I don't know how many people realize this, but it was against the law to possess a Bible. You could only see the Bible at the church. And then they had it chained to the church. The church kept pe the people from the word because they didn't want them to learn the truth. Remember, this is something to always remember. Knowledge is power. The church was in the wilderness. And terrible corruptions and false teachings seeped into the Christian church. We read more about this in Revelation chapter 12, now in verse 13 and 14. It says, Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So that times, times, and half a times I've mentioned before in, in the prophecy discussions, amen? That's 42 months or 1,260 days. It's all the same time period, 1,260 years, during which that first nation, that first beast, is in power in Revelation chapter 13. During this time, the church was intensely persecuted. Not only were millions killed for the faith in Jesus, but the ruling church became dark and with the teachings that had no basis in the Bible. While the pure teachings of the word of God were crowded out by tradition and by apostasy. They pushed out the truth 
And it was, e- it was easier to do because they withheld the truth. If you didn't have access to truth, then you were taking people's word for it. And that's something I've been warning about this whole seminar, amen? Some of these truths, or these untruths, these apostasy topics that came into the Bible, we, we've talked about in this seminar. Infant baptism replaced baptism by immersion. Remember my discussion about true Bible baptism? Does the Bible teach infant baptism? Does it mention infant baptism anywhere? No. Transubstantiation, which says the bread and the wine are the actual presence of Jesus. That actually replaced the Lord's Supper. Also during this time, the immortality of the soul replaced the simple, clear, biblical teaching that a person would sleep in death until the resurrection. Confession to God was replaced by confession to a priest. Remember, I talked about that Tuesday night. Many other false teachings came into the church during this 1,260 years. And the Bible's Sabbath was replaced by the venerable day of the sun, Sunday. While the ruling church claimed that this was from God, God had granted no such power to the church to change his law. Friends, the church was in the wilderness. Now, it's true that there were some Christians or pockets of Christians that clung to the truth, that clung to God's truth, to his biblical promises, his biblical rules, all of his messages during that time. But these were small pockets. How many have ever heard of the, of the man St. Patrick associated with Ireland? Come on. Did you know that this man, this Protestant man, was a Sabbath keeper? Absolutely. Several hundred years after this 1260-year period started. Think about that. He was keeping the Sabbath before the, before the 900th century, before the 900s. Early, early into the Christian church, after they had de- designated the Venerable Day of the Sun as a worship day, you had a pocket of Protestants that were keeping the Sabbath. The church in some parts of Africa were Sabbath-keeping churches. All the way down to the Reformation, they were keeping the Sabbath. Until white missionaries brought the Africans the new, but not very enlightened way of worshiping God. Not on God's day, but on what one language even referred to in Africa as white man's day. They knew it wasn't even the right day. This church had the truth, and it took outsiders to lead them away from the truth. The church was in the wilderness. However, God would not allow his church to stay in the wilderness. God would bring his church back from the wilderness. God would have a church that would shine light in this world. He would have a church that would uphold the word of God. He would uphold God's law and would show all people how in the last days they could honor God. And they would be sealed with the seal of the living God and prepared for the second coming. God would bring his church back from the wilderness because he was preparing people to get ready to meet Jesus. He was preparing them for Jesus' second coming. 
when he would come in the clouds of glory. This church would represent God's character and mission. Now, what would that church look like? What do you think that church would look like? Well, we happen to have the word of God. So let's go to the Bible and see what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us what that church would look like. Back in Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. Remember, we saw a pure church. The white the woman dressed in white. And down in verse 17, it says, And then dragon was enraged with this woman. So Satan was mad at this pure church. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So Satan's going to make war with this pure church and any churches that were following this pure church. In the last days of Earth's history, this church is back. God's people in the end of time, the church, have come back from the wilderness, has come back from the wilderness. How many have heard the term remnant? Amen. The word remnant means something that remains. If you have a piece of cloth, at the end of that bolt of cloth, when all the other cloth is gone, the re- what remains is called the remnant. It's like the original. In fact, it is part of the original, amen? But it's left over down at the end. You wouldn't be surprised that the remnant is that little piece down at the end that remains faithful. You see, truth is always in the minority. Remember, the word of God says many are, many are called, but few are chosen. And Revelation 13 says that virtually the entire world would wonder after the beast. We've talked about that in multiple sessions. In a time of compromise, God would have a remnant back from the wilderness, drawn together by the truths of the word of God. A group of people that is relying on Jesus Christ, that have been saved by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, this is key. A group of people that choose to follow the Lamb wherever He leads. Remember that free will? This group wants to follow the Lamb, chooses to follow the Lamb, and will follow it, will exercise their free will to follow the Lord wherever He leads. They've been raised up by God's power to take the good news message to the last days of earth's people to the most remote places all the way to the finish line of Earth's history. That's their mission. They'll take this message all the way to the end when God's people are going to be finally crowned with the crowns of victory. There will be a people who remain. When the world follows after that beast, there will be a people that remain. When the world goes after tradition, there's going to be a people that remain. They remain true to the Lord. Now, I would submit to you tonight, if God has a remnant down in the close of time, you'd want to be part of that, wouldn't you? Come on. Amen. Are you you sure? (laughs) Praise the Lord. Friends, there's no question about it. But how do you find that remnant? What we need to do is go to the Word of God and also pray. And say, Lord, in the Bible, do you describe how you make your last day remnant? How do I become part of that remnant? Well, here's what we find in the Bible. Back in Revelation chapter 12. 
Verse 17. It's pretty clear. It says very clear, clearly. The remnant keeps the commandments of God. They keep the commandments of God. So that's one thing we know, right? And we can understand. We can understand that. They keep God's law because Jesus told them, if you love me, keep my command. Amen. Keep my commandments. He didn't say keep my commandments so I will love you. He's saying that it's an outpouring of your love. We can't keep the commandments perfectly, but we strive to because we love him. That's key. We remember that God has ten commandments. And we expect that the remnant will be keeping every one of them. Now why? Like I said, because they've experienced salvation from Christ freely. Not in order to be saved, but because they are saved. You can say that this keeping of the commandments really represents a complete surrender to the indwelling presence of Jesus. So we know point number one. We know that God will have a remnant that will keep the commandments of God. Amen? Now remember Revelation 14. Remember it tells us that God has an end time message. Remember that three angels message that I've talked about in almost every message? So it would stand to reason that if God has an end time people, you could believe that they'll be proclaiming God's end time message. Amen? If he's raised up a church at the end of time, he wants them to proclaim his end time message. Turn me to Revelation chapter 14. Just to the right, verse 6. There should be a familiar verse. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. So it describes this message. It refers to it as the everlasting gospel. The good news of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. So God's church will proclaim the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, the everlasting gospel. So what's contained in that everlasting gospel message? Well, we know the, re- the judgment hour message, amen? The warning against receiving the mark of the beast. God's call to remember the seventh day Sabbath and to keep it holy. That's the everlasting gospel. And now, where would you proclaim it? Where are we going to proclaim that everlasting gospel? We know there's some church that that exists only on one side of the street. Or there's a church that only exists in this town, right? They're not parts of larger bodies. There's individual local churches. There's lots of those, amen? But God's message says to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. So God's message will go to the whole world. This End times message, this everlasting gospel, must be sent to the whole world. Which suggests that God's message is going to be carried to the world by a remnant that is worldwide. His end time church, his remnant, must be a worldwide body. It can't exist in pockets here and there. But it must be committed to taking the message all around God's beautiful earth before Jesus returns. Now there's another very important point. The Word of God says that Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, that this remnant would keep the commandments of God and would have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Testimony of Jesus Christ. How many have heard that? Should have heard it here. I've read it a couple of nights. Well, what 
in the world is this testimony of Jesus Christ? Once again, we'll let the Bible tell us. Turn with me just forward to Revelation chapter 19, page 1187. As I've told you throughout the series, we let the Bible interpret the Bible. Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. Says, and I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So right there's the definition. Amen? The Bible, John tells us, the, the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. So it's just another way of saying the gift of prophecy. Which leads us to another important subject. Is the gift of prophecy still relevant today? God's Spirit brings the gift of the Holy Spirit, and there are many gifts of the Holy Spirit. And they are certainly important today. And one of them is this gift of prophecy. So how can we know, how can we discern the genuine gift of prophecy? There's a couple dangers about this. One of the dangers is following after all the Gene Dixons or the Nostradamuses of the world, who all were believed by some people to have a certain gift. However, they're not genuine prophets in any way. But I, th I tend to think most of us aren't going to be led astray by Nostradamuses. But there are many people today who stand up in church and say, I got a message from God for you. Here's a prophecy for you. Friends, it's very common in churches today. Friends might tell you, well, we were at church last night, and we had a prophet speak to us. Now, please, don't leave here and say that you had that happen here. Because you haven't. <laughs> I'm just a preacher. So how do you know the genuine from the phony? Once again, the Bible tells you that you can know the genuine gift of prophecy. And one thing that's really fascinating about this is where God actually lists this gift. Turn me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, page 1107. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. The Apostle Paul is, is writing to us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. So then God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Notice prophets are second on the list. The gift of prophecy existed in the early church. Notice they had the scriptures and they had people with the gift of prophecy. They had the word of God. And yet the gift of prophecy was still important to them in that day. Now we all remember Jesus saying, beware of false prophets, don't we? But notice he didn't say, beware of all prophets. He didn't, did he? He said, beware of false prophets. In other words, Jesus is telling us, there will be true prophets. So we have to find out how we can know the false from the true. So let's go through a few criteria. First, someone with a gift of prophecy ought to be accurate what they say, amen? 
Turn to Jeremiah chapter 28. Jeremiah chapter 28, verse 9. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. So what's Jeremiah telling us? What he tells you better be accurate. Now, not all prophecies are about making predictions. But someone with the gift of prophecy, when they make a prediction, then that thing ought to be accurate every time. Amen? You don't want somebody bringing you a message from God who is right some of the time. They need to be right all of the time. Jeremiah makes it clear that accuracy is important. Now, someone with the gift of prophecy who is speaking on behalf of God should speak in harmony with the Bible. They won't be coming saying something that contradicts the word of God. Turn me to Deuteronomy chapter 13, page 179. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, For the Lord your God has tested you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So here's a kind of a trick, isn't it? The Lord's telling us if somebody tells you something and it comes to pass, but they're telling you to worship after somebody other than the Lord, don't believe them. So Deuteronomy tells us that somebody with a gift of prophecy will lift up or exalt the Lord. Amen? They're not going to be lifting up themselves. And that's a key thing to watch out for. If they're lifting up themselves, drawing attention to themselves, feeding their own pride or ego, that's not a prophet of the Lord. A prophet of the Lord's not in it to get rich. They're not talking about Hollywood or Wall Street. It's all about drawing people to Christ. John chapter 4 verse 2 says the same thing. That the prophet will raise up Christ, will exalt Christ. Also, someone bringing a message from God will uphold the law of God. Their message must be in harmony with the word of God. Turn me to Isaiah chapter 8, page 661. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20. As to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Isaiah is telling us to test everything by this. To the law and to the testimony. You can't have someone proclaim to be God's mouthpiece, but turning around and saying to you, you don't have to obey God's law. Someone is not going to represent God on one hand and stab God in the back on the other. Anyone with a genuine gift of prophecy 
will uphold God's law. Now, if I were to tell you tonight, you can go out of here and break the law of the land, you wouldn't believe me, would you? I hope you don't. But friends, every day, there are Christian ministers who tell their congregations that God's law doesn't matter anymore. It just doesn't seem right. Friends, love for God leads you to obey God. Love for God welcomes Christ into your life. And he will work in you both to will and to according to his good pleasure. Now we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, that the gift of prophecy was to be found in the church. Amen? Paul told us that this gift will be in the church. Now let's try to remember why God gives the gift of prophecy in the first place. When the Lord was getting ready to clean up the earth, to send a flood, he raised up a man named Noah. God gave Noah the gift of prophecy. Now why did he do that? To warn the inhabitants of earth that there was trouble coming. That they needed to be ready for the calamity. It was just around the corner. He was that last ditch warning from the Lord. It's like, turn, repent, come back to me. Destruction is coming. Then God raised up another prophet, John the Baptist. Now, I'm not going through an exhaustive list, so I know there's a whole bunch of prophets between Noah and John the Baptist. Why did he raise up John the Baptist? Once again, God was getting ready to send something. Not a flood this time. He was getting ready to send his own son, the Messiah. And God wanted people to be ready for that great event. He wanted them to be ready for the glory of the Messiah. You see, God was preparing to do something big. Whenever he's preparing to do something big, he sends the gift of prophecy. He wanted to guide his people. He wanted to draw his people to him. He wanted to lead his people in true worship, especially when something important is going to happen. He would raise up the gift of prophecy to be spoken and to be heard. The gift of prophecy would urge people to be faithful. Call people to the word of God. Encourage people to surrender. That's what the gift of prophecy is all about. Turn me to Amos chapter 3. Page 889. Amos chapter 3 verse 7. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servant, the prophet. So God said in the remnant of the last days, we would see this gift in action. The remnant will have the gift of prophecy. So how did God do that? How did he place the gift of prophecy in the remnant that keeps his commandments? I'll take you back in time to the early to mid-1800s. This was when people across the United States and across the world started to think about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Something remarkable happened. A godly man, a Baptist man, 
a Baptist preacher by the name of William Miller, studied his Bible. He went to his Bible word by word. He sometimes spent days on the same page until he understood it. He found a wonderful prophecy that he found in the book of Daniel that we've studied in the seminar. And he took this prophecy to mean that Jesus was coming back to the world in 1844. Now, this Baptist minister was a good man. He was a fine man. And he started a tremendous revival. The Great Awakening spread all through the United States and other people throughout the world. People were getting ready to meet Jesus, amen? But they thought Jesus was coming back right then. Well, we all know what happened. The time came and passed, of course. Jesus did not come back. This fine man went back to his Baptist roots and carried on and died not long afterwards. And even though he had made a mistake, God used that mistake in a great way. He was right on all accounts about the prophecy. The only mistake he made was what was going to happen in 1844. He was not wrong with the time. He was wrong with the event. But he focused people's attention where their focus hadn't been. Once again, people were talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. God wanted to draw his people, wanted to guide his people together. And he wanted them to be focused on the second coming of Christ. In the midst of all that, God called a young woman, 17 years old, and bestowed upon her a very special spiritual gift. For over 70 years, she took what God shared with her, and she wrote it out today. So I'm sorry, she wrote it out so that today, there's well over 100 books in her name, available in the English language, and also in many other languages. Think about that, over 100 books. In fact, this woman is the most translated female author in the history of all literature. What she shared with others about Christ and his word have changed lives around the world. And the church she helped found is in more countries in this world than any other Protestant church. She wrote a book called Steps to Christ. How many have heard of this book? Amen. Friends, I've never found a book anywhere so powerful about having a relationship with Jesus and knowing him than Steps to Christ. That's what the gift of prophecy ought to be like. Her book about the life of Christ, it's called The Desire of Ages. It's a classic. People throughout Christianity said, it's the single most exhaustive volume on the life of Christ. Friends, I've never read anything like it. She also wrote a book called The Ministry of Healing on the topic of health. Both physical and spiritual. Medical experts have said, this book is a hundred years ahead of its time. In addition to talking about Jesus and his parables and Christian living... She wrote about health. Now think about when this was going on. This was going on in the 1800s. She wrote, tobacco is a slow, insidious, but most malignant poison. In the 1800s. Now friends, we know that's not a surprise today, amen? 
But she wrote this back at a time when doctors were prescribing tobacco to sick people, thinking it would get them well. But she knew different. Why? Because she had tons of college degrees? Studied at the university? Absolutely not. She never attended college. She never attended high school. Think about that. She could barely read herself. She's the most translated female author in history. The Lord put it on her heart. Tell my people this so they can do better in getting ready for the return of Jesus Christ. One doctor from Cornell University, Clive McKay, says, whatever may be the religious belief of a reader, he or she cannot help but gain much guidance in a better and healthier way of life from reading the major works of Ellen G. White. Every modern specialist in nutrition whose life is dedicated to human welfare must be impressed by the writings and leadership of Ellen G. White. Things this Christian woman has have said have led thousands upon thousands of people to a relationship with Jesus Christ and to flee to the Bible, to the Bible, and to cling to it as their rule of faith and practice. Friends, that's what the gift of prophecy is supposed to do. Here's another one of her books. Called the Great Controversy. I'll tell you a quick story. There was a man once who was raised in the Lutheran Church. Didn't stay in the church long because his parents didn't attend. Never went back to church. Came in and out of the church with friends and youth groups as a child. Went on his own way. Was very successful. Was good in athletics. Went to college. Got three college degrees. Has a professional career. But something was lacking in his life. Had several near-death experiences throughout his life. Was a voracious reader. But he did not read the Bible. But he read everything else. He was hungry for history. Was a history buff. After reading every book in his house multiple times, he happened upon this book. Because he had read in everything else. Not because he even knew anything about the book. Never heard of the author. Read this book in one night. Changed his life. Brought him to the church. And you say, Dan, how can that happen? How can a person read one book and bring them back to the Bible and bring them to the church? Well, I can tell you how, because he's standing right before you right now. That's the book that brought me to Christ. That brought me to the Bible. I've read this book so many times, I can't remember how many times now. Not that it's the best one of her books. It's just one that I needed to read because I had a hunger for history. And the Lord knew that. He put that book in front of my path. He placed the spirit of prophecy in my path. Here I am. Friends, I urge you. Allow the gift of prophecy. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Now keep in mind that when God gives the gift of prophecy, it doesn't make the Bible less important. This is, this is very important. It magnifies the Bible. It lifts the Bible up. Would having the gift of prophecy be like having another Bible? Absolutely not. 
There were people with the gift of prophecy in Bible times. And that never lessened the importance of Scripture. As you've seen in this seminar, friends, we've managed to go 20 nights teaching just from the Bible. Because the Bible is the rule of faith and practice for the believer. Ellen White was very clear that her role was to point people to the Bible and to Jesus, the star of the Bible. In fact, Ellen White herself urged everyone to test her writings with the Bible. She's quoted as saying, if, my, if anything I've written or said does not coincide with the Bible, don't follow me, follow the Bible. Here's my counsel to you. You might be thinking, Dan, I've never heard of this before. I urge you, check it out. Read it. Ask the Lord, is there a blessing in here for me? And I'm confident that you will read and be blessed and wish you had found what she had written many years before like I wish I had. In fact, we're going to make available some of those books tonight to you free of charge. They'll be out at the resource desk when you go out. All of the titles I think I've mentioned. Now let's look again at God's last day remnant. Remember the word of God says the remnant will proclaim the everlasting gospel. Will keep the commandments of God. It will be a worldwide movement. And it will have the gift of prophecy. We know this too that God's remnant down the end of time is going to be teaching the truth about what happens when people die. In a time when spiritualism is rampant. And its grip is getting tighter and tighter. God will have a people that will clear this up. Revelation chapter 14 verse 13 says, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works follow them. The end time message is going to clear up this confusion on the state of the dead. The Spirit says they live, they die, and they rest, and they sleep the peaceful sleep of death. And so we need to add that to our list. They sleep the sleep of death. This end-time remnant movement will teach that. Friends, you know what's so fascinating? Learning is the easy part. Most folks don't find that hard. But when it comes to faith in God... Unlearning is often the hard part. People read it and they see it. But some things get so deeply ingrained that they're hard to unlearn. They're hard to let go of. Well, you can just bring that to the Bible and to the Lord. And he will show you that God's got a better plan for you. He will show you there's nobody up in heaven looking down on the suffering. And there's nobody in hell burning right now. People live, die, and sleep. Then the Lord says, the best is yet to come. Turn me to Revelation chapter 18, page 1186. Revelation 18, verse 1. It says, after these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. 
And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. So God speaks here, and he's appealing to people to surrender to Jesus down here towards the end of time. Here's those two groups that are developing. One following God and his word. One not following the word of God, but following traditions and their own ideas or what their fathers or grandfathers told them or what their friends have said to them. So you have one group following truth and one group following tradition. It might be even more like one person following truth for every 10,000 following tradition. But when God speaks to his people in Babylon, in those last days, in these last days, he says this. He says it because he loves us all. He's calling us because he wants no soul to be lost. His greatest joy would be all to come to repentance and join him. That's his dream, his wish. What are the wages of sin? Death. Friends, God would be within his rights to throw out every one of us, for we have sinned. We have gone astray. We have followed our own inclination. But God so loved the world that instead of just scrambling up this earth and throwing it into the trash can, God so loved the world, he said, let's try again. And he sent Jesus. He said, let's try again. And he sent the prophets. And the people stoned the prophets. They killed his son. And God says, let's try again. We'll send the Holy Spirit. People chased away the Holy Spirit. So the Lord says, I'll raise up a church. I'll send it into the wilderness. I'm not done yet. I will raise up a remnant. I'm going to reach these people somehow. Friends, God does this because he's anxious to save. He wants to spend eternity with all of us. In Revelation 18.4, even though he doesn't owe it to us, even though there's no compulsion towards God, even though God would be justified in doing otherwise, he says, and I heard another voice from heaven. Come out of her, my people lest you share in her sins, unless you receive of her plague. He says, come out of her. Who's he talking to? He says, my people. Remember, like I said the other night, God has his people in every church, even those that aren't in church. But he's calling them out before it's too late. God is speaking to Babylon, that scarlet woman I talked about Tuesday night. The system of untruth, a system of tradition. He speaks to people and says, I want you to come out of that. I want you to be part of the last day remnant that keeps the commandments of God and has the faith of Jesus. God's saying, I want you to stand on solid rock, not on sinking sand. I want to give you the solid foundation you need for an eternal life. Here's what we see in the Bible says about the last day remnant. 
It preaches the everlasting gospel. It keeps the commandments of God. It's a worldwide movement. Has the gift of prophecy. Teaches the truth about what happens when a person dies. And then issues a call to all of God's people who haven't heard his message yet. He says, come out of her, my people. Friends, as you consider these identifying points, you'll come to the inescapable conclusion as you survey the Christian landscape that there can only be one Christian church in the world today that meets all of these identifying points. So you might be thinking, so Dan, are you telling me that the only people that belong to this church are going to be saved? Anyone going to another church is not going to be saved. Are you saying that, Dan? Well, you should know me well enough by now. After 20 nights together, I have never even hinted at that being so. But what we do know, because we've looked at the Bible, is that Jesus wants to, us to follow him in truth. Jesus wants us to obey him, wants us to be faithful to him, wants us to follow him in the word of God. Jesus wants us to submit, to surrender our lives to him. God calls us back and he bids us to follow Jesus according to the Bible. And therefore what he wants, what we want to do is find a church that's teaching as close to the Bible as possibly can, as we possibly can. We should want to find that church that follows the Bible. And when that happens, your experience with God will grow. You follow one and things develop. Your walk with Christ will strengthen. Think of this verse from Proverbs chapter 4. But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. That means as you follow God, the light on your pathway gets brighter and brighter. And you'll grow under that light. Now I've had people say to me, friends, but I really believe the Lord led me to that church that I'm in now. And I would say, I'm sure he did. But do you think he led you there so you could stay there? Maybe you're just passing through as you grow. Maybe there were some things there that you needed to learn. Maybe that was the best possible place for your spiritual growth and development at that time. But the path of the just is like the shining sun. It gets brighter and brighter until the perfect day. It's called a walk, friends, because it's a journey. You want to advance. You want to hunger for more, for a stronger walk with the Lord. Now, you may have had a phenomenal teacher in your third or fourth grade. But you eventually left that classroom, didn't you? You advanced a couple of grades. And you found that there was more to learn. And sometimes it's just like that in our Christian faith. We need to grow. We need to advance. And it means sometimes shifting classrooms and shifting teachers and growing because you want to follow the light that God is shining on your pathway. History is full of examples like this. Remember the church was in wilderness. This pure church that the disciples led in the beginning 
began to spread the gospel to people all over the world. The church exploded. And then what happened? In came the corruption. And then in came the traditions. And in came the teachings of man. The church was in the wilderness. And then many years later, what happened? Well, John Wycliffe came along. They called him the morning star of the Reformation. And then John Huss in Bohemia, which we call today the Czech Republic. He advanced new light, challenging the establishment's positions. And I mentioned this Tuesday night. On October 31st, 1517, a young German priest named Martin Luther couldn't contain himself any longer. He had written out those 95 theses or points where he believed his church had departed from truth. He believed they had departed from the purity of the gospel. Friends, it was never his plan to start a new church. His plan was to be faithful, to follow the word of God. He wanted his church to come to truth. That was his goal. He nailed those 95 points on the famous Wittenberg Castle Church door, and the word spread like wildfire. Before long, Luther stepped out. He left the church, a church he loved, and his followers stepped out with him. And he became the Lutheran remnant. But they set up camp around Luther. Then they stopped there. That was a great improvement on where they had been. But they didn't press forward. Once again, they settled in. They got comfortable. And maybe that's all they knew was to stop right there. But then along came others, such as John Calvin. Maybe he wasn't right about everything, but he pressed the light forward. The path of the just was getting brighter and brighter. Then along came the Anabaptists. And the Anabaptists said, well, this is all good. But in following the Bible, we need to be baptized by immersion. They had discovered Bible baptism. And so they added this piece back to the puzzle. And then along came other reformers like John Wesley. And he was talking about the new birth. And the light continued to shine brighter and brighter. And then William Miller came along. And he started to talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now people started talking about the second coming. He preached the good news of the second advent of God. And then these people said... Well, what about these Ten Commandments? There's a group of these people that are keeping the Seventh-day Sabbath. Maybe that's right. So they went to the Word of God, and they discovered that something had been missing. Each community of faith continued to advance the gospel further. And then someone else would take the baton and further, and they would hand it off to another who would take it a little bit farther. And then these truths, these wonderful truths came together in one place. Out of this came a movement that would become known as the Seventh-day Adventist Church. This would be a movement standing on the Word of God only. On the Bible as the foundation of faith and practice. 
you will hear us say, just like many of before us have said, the Bible and the Bible only, sola scriptura. This would be a movement that would stand upon the shoulders of great men and women of God who came before it. And they would take the truth of the word of God and relentlessly proclaim it to the earth's remotest bounds. A community of faith, not teaching tradition, but teaching truth. And if you're willing to say, Lord Jesus, I want to follow truth. I believe that this would be the church that Jesus would say to you. This is the one that I want you to be part of. Teaching the word of God and not the word of men. It's being guided by the Ten Commandments. And taking the light of the word of God to earth's remotest bounds. Remember that worldwide movement. Proclaiming the everlasting gospel to the four corners of the earth. Friends, there's a danger when we stop. When the pilgrims were coming to the United States from the Netherlands, Pastor John Robinson, who remained in Europe, said to them, I charge you before God that you follow me no farther than you have seen me follow Christ. For I am verily persuaded the Lord hath more truth and light yet to break forth from his holy word. Did you get that? He said, only follow me because I follow Christ. But God has more for you. He said, God has more light. God has more truth that he wants to reveal to you. He encouraged his followers, his flock, to follow that. He said, don't stop where I am. Friends, when God brings more truth to you, you go with that. When God shines more light on you, you walk in that light. When God brings more blessings to you, you grab a hold of those blessings. When God brings greater opportunities for you, you take a hold of those spiritual opportunities. As Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 16, In other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus wants to gather his sheep back together. Friends, Satan has done a masterful job of dividing the flock, of scattering Jesus' flock. So that in Christianity today, there's massive confusion. You've got the scarlet woman leading people away, leading people into confusion, leading people into tradition. And then God says, I'm raising up a remnant. That which remains. I'm raising up a church that will follow my word and follow my lead. Friends, God's earnest desire is to lead people to make a full surrender to Jesus. Jesus spoke and he said, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. This is important. It's not, Jesus saying it's not enough just to know them. You will be happy if you do them. Friends, it's no accident that you come to this seminar. God has been leading you. You know that. So many people have talked to me and said, this is what I've been looking for. Something makes sense. Truth, not tradition. God has brought you to this place in your life so you can experience the blessing of honoring him 
by walking in the light of his word. Friends, Jesus doesn't teach people and then leave them. He teaches us and then says, follow me. Like he said to the disciples, he said, follow me. God is so good. He says, follow me. Follow me and worship me in spirit and in truth. Friends, Jesus is coming back soon. And he wants to have your heart. And he wants to bless your life. He wants us to have every advantage. Keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Honoring the one who died to set us all free. I want to give you an opportunity tonight to respond to God's gift of grace. I want to give you an opportunity to make a decision for Jesus Christ. The ushers are going to hand out a decision card. You've seen a couple of these throughout the seminar. Search your heart. You have been brought here for a purpose. That purpose is God's purpose. You didn't come here for me. You came here because God led you here. He saw in you an open heart. He saw that you were searching. He knew you were searching. And he was calling you out of Babylon. He was opening the door to his kingdom for you. He's pleading with you to come in. He's knocking on that door. Begging you to open it up. And he will race into your lives. Once you've gotten the card, put your name on the card. The first option, if I choose to follow the teachings of Jesus, is found in the Bible. If you choose to follow the teachings of Christ, as found in the Bible, in the Bible only, check that box. If you want to follow the Lord, like he said, follow me, check that box. The next sec- uh, option, out of love for Jesus, I choose to keep all of his commandments, including the seventh-day Sabbath. If you want to follow the commandments of God, including the seventh-day Sabbath, out of love for him, not out of legalism, because you love him so much, you want to honor him, check that second box. And thirdly, if you want to follow Jesus in baptism or rebaptism, if you want to give your life to the Lord, if you want to put your sins to rest in that baptismal death, And come up resurrected, new in Christ. Check that box. And the fourth option. I choose to worship Jesus in spirit and truth and become part of the Seventh-day Adventist church. If you want to become part of God's remnant church, check that box. Friends, God is calling you out. And he's calling you to a remnant. Now, friends, I promise you, he's not calling you to get comfortable again. He's calling you to work and to service. He's calling to save you so that you can become a disciple and bring other disciples to him. And finally, if you have questions that you'd like to discuss, write them on the back of the card. Any question. If it's about tonight's message, any message, any question on your heart, write it on the back. I promise you I'll answer it. I promise you I'll put aside time to meet you one-on-one if that's what it takes. You can talk to me afterwards. You guys know I'm the last person to leave. Many times the lights are out before I leave. Because some of the other people are trying to push me out. Friends, search your heart. 
Search your souls. The Lord is asking you. He's calling you. He's brought you here tonight. Many of you have been here every night. Many of you have been here most of the nights, which is an amazing level of dedication that only you have put forth because the Lord has called you. It hasn't been because of me. It's been because of the Lord. He's touched your heart. He's wanted you to follow his truths and to learn more and to build on that foundation. Friends, I ask you tonight, has the message been clear? Amen. Let's close with a word of prayer. Please bow your heads. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for the gift of life. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, we thank you so much for raising up a remnant church. Keeping a church true to you, even in the wilderness. But Lord, we, we know that you're calling us out of Babylon. Calling all of your people. And Lord, we know that it's your true wish to have none be lost and all be saved. But Lord, we also know that narrow is the path. So Lord, we ask you now, please send your Holy Spirit. Please send your angels. Continue to touch their hearts and souls of these dear people that are here. Lord, they've come searching for you. You knew that they were, had open hearts. You knew that they were searching for truth. And you've given them the opportunity to study your word, to build that foundation of rock. But Lord, there's so much more that you want to reveal to us. We ask you now that you please continue to send that Holy Spirit. Continue to give us that gift of prophecy so that we can continue to grow and continue to walk in the light until it is like the sun shining on us in the daytime. Lord, we ask you all, Please, keep us safe. Keep us strong. Keep us true to you. But most of all, Lord, wrap your arms around us as we continue to fend off Satan's attacks. Lord, I ask you all, keep these people safe as they travel. Help them to search their minds and their hearts as they make decisions for you. Most of all, Lord, lift us up. Continue to bless us as we await the soon coming of your son. We ask this all in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen.